getting on the issues that matter to you. Live from the center of Waterloo region. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. friend of mine tell me the other day that she really enjoys the different songs that we start the show with now. She plays a little bit of Name That Tune along with us and then finds out a little bit more about the song in question and why it is we chose to play it. If you couldn't name that one, playing Name That Tune in the car or office this morning, I can't help you because I think everybody knows the tide is high from Blondie, right? On this day in 1981, Blondie took the Titus High to number one on the U.S. singles chart. It was their third U.S. number one, also reached number one in the U.K. And for a young and very impressionable Mike Farwell, for whatever reason, this song stuck with me. I couldn't shake it. I loved the song. I didn't know at the time, and I probably had not yet even developed my bias at the time. Biases are learned, aren't they? (laughs) And when I was 10 in 1981, I don't think I would have cared quite as much. But I do have this bias against cover tunes. Not a huge fan of cover tunes, or just the fact that, I don't know, like lots of songs that I've come to know over my life, I only realized later were cover tunes. And then I have to backtrack. But generally speaking, I figure... Once it's been done, it's been done. But that song, which reaches number one for Blondie on the U.S. singles charts in 1981, was actually written way back in 1967 and performed by the Jamaican group The Paragons. And its writer, John Holt, was the lead singer on the song. But it wasn't until Blondie recorded it in 81 as a cover that it became... An international sensation. And you know what? It would even top the UK singles charts. Again, the tide is high. In 2002, when Atomic Kitten did a cover of it. That's right. Atomic Kitten, 20 plus years after Blondie made it a number one, also took it to number one in the UK. And then Canadian rapper Cardinal Afishal had a minor hit with his interpretation of The Tide is High in 2008. So covered many a time, but never better, in my humble opinion, than when it was covered by Blondie in 1981. The Tide is High on this day, January the 31st, reached number one on the U.S. singles charts. It is eight minutes after nine on this Wednesday morning. Thank goodness. I feel like I speak for many of us 
when I say, thank goodness we have reached the end of January. I don't know what to make of this month, but never have I ever endured a month that has dragged on like this particular January. And, you know, if you're watching the longer range weather forecasts like I have been, it's a pretty moderate, temperate start to the month of February. Groundhog Day is Friday. We can all start looking forward to more spring-like weather, right? All we've got to do is get through February. Although the way things have gone lately, and I was having this conversation last night, I don't really feel safe until we're into April anymore. March can be pretty cruel, and even April can throw the occasional curveball at us. So we're going to keep hoping for the best in the weather department. But I honestly cannot wait for January to get the H-E double hockey sticks out of here in about uh, 15 hours' time. Uh, Don't let the door hit your behind on the way out, January. All right, it is time for your Farwell Show 5 for this Wednesday morning. And as you've been hearing throughout the morning with Christine and Mark, yes, it was a difficult night for the Kitchener Rangers, who dropped their fifth game in a row last night, falling 4 to nothing to the London Knights. You were in on a Rakoff goal. Unless he gets it in the next 15 seconds. Now seven games without a goal for Carson Rakoff. And you were in on Wilmore surrendering three or more tonight. And he puts up a shutout as time winds down here at the Memorial Auditorium. So in essence what you're saying, Mike, is my night was as rough as the Rangers. (laughs) (laughs) Only I still have a little bit of a smile on my face. I can laugh. Uh, I don't think there'll be a lot of laughter in the Rangers dressing room post game. Paul Fixter does a little segment during our Harris Law pregame show of Kitchener Rangers games called The Fix Is In. We have a lot of fun with it. And he only went one for three on his predictions last night. He thought Carson Rakoff would break that goal-scoring drought. He thought Owen Wilmore, the goaltender for the London Knights, would surrender three or more goals. Ah, well, The Fix may have been in on that. Our friends at City Cabs sponsor the feature. We have lots of fun with it. Unfortunately, everything went awry. For The Fix Is In... And for the Kitchener Rangers last night, Wilmore picks up his first career OHL shutout, and the Kitchener Rangers lose 4 to nothing to London. Number two on your Farwell Show 5 this morning, five members of Canada's 2018 World Junior Hockey Team have been charged with sexual assault, accused of attacking a woman in a London hotel after a Hockey Canada fundraiser in that city. Now, Alex Formanton turned himself into police on Sunday, as you know, The four others are yet to surrender, but they have now been named. Dylan Dubé of the Calgary Flames, Carter Hart of the Philadelphia Flyers, and Michael McLeod and Cal Foote of the New Jersey Devils are all facing charges along with Formanton, who had been playing in Switzerland. Number three on your Farwell Show 5 for this Wednesday morning, CBC CEO Catherine Tate appeared yesterday before a House of Commons Heritage Committee and did not rule out awarding executive bonuses to CBC employees this year. So I'm just curious, it's coming up in two months. Will you be recommending that executive bonuses are given? I will respond to that question as I have earlier, which is to say, if we achieve the results of the current fiscal year, I will recommend that um, uh, the 1,140 unaffiliated, non-unionized employees receive their fair pay, their performance pay. 
their fair pay, their bonus pay. So you will be recommending then in two months' time that the executives receive a bonus. If they achieve their targets. Must be nice to be at the CBC. Meantime, at another House of Commons committee, this is the Ethics Committee, number four on your Farwell Show 5 for today. At the Ethics Committee hearing in our House of Commons, Interim Ethics Commissioner Conrad von Finkenstein said he sees no issue with Prime Minister Trudeau's Jamaican vacation. So what we have here is clearly a generous gift, but it's between people who are, who are friends, and I don't see why just because they're well off they can't exchange gifts, and that's what they're doing here. You may find, uh, think it's improper or not, that's obviously the elector may think. Is it enough for me to have reason to believe that there's something here that needs to be investigated? No, it's not. Von Finkenstein told members of parliament he does not plan to investigate the holiday and he considers the matter closed. And number five on your Farwell Show 5 this Wednesday morning, January the 31st, two federal cabinet ministers along with two provincial cabinet ministers and Ontario Premier Doug Ford will be in York Region this morning to announce a federal investment to prevent crime and combat auto theft. In Ontario. It's 9.13. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. As you know, the moment we begin the show every day, access is open to you. We love to hear from you at any time during the show. 519-570-2545, star 570 one 800 570 Be a part of the shenanigans anytime you want. You can also email mike at 570news.com or follow along on the various social media channels. We're on Facebook at the Mike Farwell Show, Twitter, Instagram at Farwell underscore WR. To the phones we go. Joe, good morning. Morning, Mike. That was tough sledding last night. Oh, buddy, I think the number one rule of today's talk show should be to not talk about last night's hockey game. Well, okay, I think it's worth noting. Yes. I was 20 feet away from the goal, their goalie, and he made a highlight reel save that should be, like, broadcast on some uh, ESPN or GSN. I think, I, well, can we put it on Sportsnet? Would you mind? Could I get you sure. to, okay, let's agree Sportsnet, on Sportsnet. Whatever. Thank you, you yeah. Your pick, but, well, uh, the Sportsnet, because I'm just being a good company guy, you see? That TSN thing's owned by the other... Yeah, I'm a company guy. Sportsnet. 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 Okay. Sportsnet. Anyway, (laughs) my daughter and I were at the game, and she just kept yelling, highlight reel, highlight reel. And I told her, I looked over and said, you know what? I don't know if we're going to score a goal on this guy when he makes saves like that. He was down and out on his belly, and he he robbed like like a doorstep shot. And that was in the first period, Joe. That was the first period. Yeah. Yeah, we had a mind to come up and uh, up to the booth, but you guys are just too busy for us regular plebes. So you gotta you gotta come up, Joe, before the pregame show starts. That's when we see most of our buddies there. Ah, yeah, because once we get on the air, you're right; it gets pretty tough. Yeah. All right. All uh, right. Uh, so, listen, what's the story with the injured players? Like, did they meet the the guys that are missing? They mean that much to the team. 
Oh, gosh, yeah. And I mean, just think of the number of guys, right? Antonino Pugliese, Trent Swick, Mitch Martin, Cameron Reed. Last night, Matt Sopp suddenly out of the lineup. That's five very important oh, pieces. wow. Yeah. I didn't know it's that bad. It's that okay. bad. Wow. I got a clearer picture now. <laughs> okay. Well, at least I'm up to date. That's what we're here for, and Joe. What's the, uh, what's the return on these guys? Any... Uh, any projected? I have zero idea. I'm afraid. I would think that Matt Sop left last night with what we're tell what we're told is an illness. So hopefully it's like a 24 hour <laughs> bug and he'll be back on Friday. But beyond that, I cannot make any commitments or promises. Well, they look pretty good, even with those guys out of the lineup. It was a tight game right up until the third period. You're right. Anyway, let's look at it for what it is. Let's take the positives out of it. We can do that, Joe, and we will. All right. See ya. <laughs> see ya. Good to hear from you today. I do believe if you follow along any of those aforementioned social media channels, I believe I began my video today. I put up a little show preview video, and I said I think the number one rule on the show today should be to not talk about last night's Rangers game. But, hey, they are our team, and even after five straight losses, we stand behind our team. And Joe's right. All things considered, they played a good game. They know what they need to do out there. They just, with all the missing pieces, it's tough to get it done. And the save that Joe talks about, it's really difficult to describe a save that good on the radio. But you can see it for yourself. The Ontario Hockey League did a great job getting the highlights out quickly. And I also reshared via another social media channel on Twitter or X at Farwell underscore OHL. Feel free to follow along there for all kinds of Kitchener Rangers and OHL info. Plus, see that highlight from the Ontario Hockey League. The save made by Owen Wilmore, one of 24 saves the London Knights netminder made last night as the Knights blank the Kitchener Rangers 4 to nothing. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I'm just thinking on that announcement in York Region happening as we speak with a couple of federal cabinet ministers. We've also got provincial cabinet ministers and Ontario Premier Doug Ford in attendance. And the idea or the purpose of the get-together is to share with us a funding announcement from the federal government to help combat car thefts here in Ontario. And and quite frankly, these car thefts are a a countrywide problem. But we are seeing, I I mean, I'm losing count, hundreds and hundreds of vehicle thefts. And it's got me thinking sort of bigger picture. And I'll connect it to something that happened locally. You may recall mm, 30, almost 40 years ago now, There were a lot, and I do mean a lot, of fires in downtown Kitchener. And, I mean, 
in fairness, <laughs> there were jokes being made that this was the whole downtown Kitchener revitalization strategy. But my point in bringing this up is that it became increasingly difficult for businesses downtown and for years later to get adequate insurance for their buildings, their properties, their places of business, just because there had been so many fires. We had a downtown in Kitchener that looked like it had cavities because of the buildings that burned down from the streetscape. And I just can't help but think when we consider the sheer volume of vehicles being stolen, and we know that they end up thousands and thousands of kilometers away in faraway parts of the world where they're sold off and somebody's making organized crime, likely making all kinds of money off of this. But at what point do we reach the tipping point? And insurance rates for vehicles generally start getting so onerous that fewer and fewer of us can afford them. Or maybe insurance rates for specific vehicles because they're the most likely to be stolen. Or insurance rates based on your postal code because that's the geographical area where so many vehicles are being stolen. I mean, the trickle-down is rather incredible. And I shared the story with you some time ago with a friend of mine who lives in Air and has begun using the old-fashioned club Forget the newfangled technology. He says the club is his best defense against any potential car theft because he'd had a friend who was also using the club in an area where there had been a lot of car thefts and the club was what saved his vehicle. So my buddy in air puts the club on the steering wheel of his car every night. That's kind of where we're at. But I really do wonder when it's going to start hitting us generally, consumers in the pocketbook when it comes to insurance and other things. Okay, we've got an update on the way from the City News Center, and then we share a healthcare horror story that happened right here in our community. That's next. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. This story came to our attention yesterday via social media because a mother was so distraught with what had happened to her daughter trying to get care for appendicitis in our local hospitals that she took to social media and shared the rather harrowing tale. And we're able to get that tale firsthand now because Julia Malott and daughter Angelina make time for our show. Good morning to you both. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm not too bad. How are you feeling, Lena? Um, kind of nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Lena, I promise there is nothing for you to be nervous about this morning. How are you feeling today? Are you feeling better? I'm definitely feeling better compared to pre-surgery. Yesterday was a rough day coming out of the meds from the hospital and just having to go back to normal Tylenols. But I'm definitely, yeah, I'm definitely feeling better. Can you describe for us... Angelina, the way that you were feeling when you were at the hospital waiting for somebody to help you out, like how much pain or discomfort you were in, the things that you were feeling. Can you describe that to us? I was at a point during the night where I, like, on Sunday night, I had only slept two hours, but it was very, like, broken sleep, just mixed with doctor visits and pain and 
I was getting just restless, and I wanted them to do something. So really, it was just like I was just desperate for the pain to be gone. And Julia, for you, I can't even imagine knowing that Angelina is feeling this way, is herself desperate for this pain to be gone. And as the parent, you must feel utterly helpless here. Absolutely. It, it really is a surreal experience. We, we started at the emergency room around 10 p.m. And of course, as is normal in Ontario healthcare in this decade, we, we expected a number of hours to really get anywhere. And that happened. But by five or six hours in, we were pretty sure we had the diagnosis of appendicitis. And that was where things really got, got bad because they couldn't confirm this without an ultrasound, but they couldn't do the ultrasound until the morning because they, they don't do night ultrasounds apparently at St. Mary's. And then by 5 a.m. we were told we needed to vacate the room we were in and go back to the waiting room because the bed was needed for other patients. So we have this, this child who's presumed to have appendicitis sitting, putting pressure on the appendix, which of course can rupture. That is the risk of appendicitis is that the inflammation can lead to a rupture, which could be fatal. And she's in immense pain. And as a, as a parent, it's, it's devastating to not be able to solve the problem, to not be able to, to do anything, especially when the solution is, is well known. You just don't have access to those resources. For, for you, Julia, uh, your daughter is clearly your number one priority. Did you feel as though she was being treated or seen that way within the system as a priority? It is such a complex question to answer. I, I don't have close proximity to the health system, um, so this really has been very new to me. But it was obvious that she was just as important as every other patient in the St. Mary's emergency room. However, there were just far, far too many patients and far, far too few nurses and doctors to do anything for anybody. And so I don't think that we were particularly neglected. I don't think there was a bias against us or anything of that sort. But can I say that we were prioritized? Well, no. We, when, you're, when you're sitting in a waiting room and kind of fending for yourself for what ultimately took almost 24 hours before the surgery was completed and we were able to, uh, to return down to day surgery, that's, that's not a good sign. <laughs> What are your takeaways from this experience, Julia, when it comes to our healthcare system in this province and sort of where it's at? My my main takeaway is that there is clearly lots of room for improvement and, and a desperate need to take that improvement. And I also don't know the extent to which our leadership and government really understands the problem. The Minister of Health was in Kitchener yesterday at the very hospital where we were for a press conference about um, some other matters and multiple local journalists brought this matter up because of the attention it had gained on social media. And in the, in the words that Sylvia Jones, the, the minister, said to us, she lamented our concerns and said, you know, it's devastating when, when your child is sick and you don't know what will help them. And I know she meant well with those words, but we know exactly what would have helped her, as did the nurses, as did, did the doctors but nobody had the resources to make it happen. And that, in my mind, should be the easier problem. This is not a matter of not having the, the medical knowledge to solve the problem. This is just not having the beds or not having the rooms available to actually enact solutions. Angelina, you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation this morning that you felt a little nervous. How did you feel going into surgery? Did that make you nervous too? Yeah, I was, I 
was definitely scared. I was more scared of waking up from surgery it, because, like, yeah, the surgery is scary, but the whole waking up from it, I was just, like, I was thinking that I was going to be in a lot of pain from that. But and This is your first surgery. It was, yeah. What about the doctors and nurses who took care of you, Lena? What were they like? They, there were a couple that I didn't have the best impression of. I know that they're busy, but there were some nurses that, like, they were amazing. They were, they tried their best to do what they could to help me. And I know that it was a situation where they didn't have a lot of control and that the resource, the lack of resources definitely has an impact on what they could and couldn't do for me. But I also know that like when I told them that I wanted to be a nurse, they kind of, they tried to help distract me from everything else going on by telling me about what they were doing so that I could have a bit more knowledge on kind of a job, which was interesting. That's really cool. You still want to be a nurse? I do. Originally, I wanted to work in the emergency room for the beginning of my career, but I'm not sure I want to do that part anymore. Absolutely fair for sure. Julia, this first came to my attention, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, via your video essay on social media yesterday. What's the response to that been like? The response has been really positive. Um, I I knew that this would strike a chord with Ontarians and Canadians at large um, because I know that my daughter's experience was not remarkable in the sense that this happens all the time. When we finally made it up to day surgery and spoke with the surgeon, he, he assured us how routine this surgery is, how these surgeries are done every day. There's very low risk. Sure, there's always something that could go wrong, but this is very, very routine. And yet, the the experience that we had is far from how this should be if this is as mundane as, as the actual procedure um, is, is. And so I was not surprised to see people really that resonate strongly with them and be shared widely. Um, I've had tons and tons of doctors and nurses and um, other individuals reach out to me, both offering support and just, you know, appreciating the message that, that Angelina and myself are putting out there, which is that this is not the doctors and nurses. This is not the administration of the, the hospital. This is this is a simple problem to solve that we need to solve at the political level. And I'm thankful that we're going to have the opportunity to speak with the minister um, after she publicly said that she was happy to speak with us. I'm hoping she won't go back on her word on that. But whether or not changes will really come or not is, is a whole other question. You have sparked, without question, a really important dialogue, Julia. And for that, I'm grateful. And Lena, I'm glad that you're feeling better. I I hope you continue your recovery and maybe we can talk again sometime. Yeah, definitely. Thank you both very much for being here. Thanks for having us. Julia Malott and her daughter, Angelina. Maybe Angelina and I can talk again someday when she's a nurse. She says that's what she still wants to be. What Julia said about the response to her video yesterday and the number of people it resonated with, let me just put the question to you that way this morning, if I may. Does this story resonate with you in any way? A similar experience, perhaps? Does it make you apprehensive of 
what you might encounter when you are into our healthcare system, I, I can promise you it makes me apprehensive. And I don't blame any of the people working within the system. But we got ourselves a pretty big hornet's nest here by the sounds of things. Does this story resonate with you at all? Would love to hear your reaction to it. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I know that my daughter's experience was not remarkable in the sense that this happens all the time. The experience that we had is far from how this should be if this is as mundane as the actual procedure is. And so I was not surprised to see people really that resonate strongly with them and be shared widely. This is not the doctors and nurses. This is not the administration of the hospital. This is a simple problem to solve that we need to solve at the political level. The perfect clip from that conversation with Julia Malott and her daughter, Angelina. The perfect clip extracted from the interview by the guy on the other side of the glass, Devin Robertson. It's not about the doctors and the nurses and the people working within the system. It's about the system itself. And it's a problem that needs to be solved at the political level. And as Julia said in her widely shared social media post yesterday, this isn't a problem of the conservatives today. It's not a problem of the liberals before them. We have to continue going back to find the cracks in the foundation of this system and start asking the serious question. What are we going to do about it? Because talk is cheap. And I think we've spent way too much time talking and talking and talking. Does Julia's and Angelina's story resonate with you? In any way, what are your responses to it? 519 570 2545, star 570, and 1 800 570 5715. Kevin, good morning. Hi, good morning, Mike. Uh, I've been listening to this um, issue and I had to call because um, back in late November, I was uh, admitted into St. Mary's Hospital. And the, in the middle of the night, I had a, like a very, very bad pain at my heart and I thought I'm having a heart attack so anyway I went to the hospital with extremely heavy pain in a void point that at the waiting room I was just like literally biting and squeezing the chairs over there but the care that I received the attention that I received with the limited resources that the hospitals have these days was tremendous so ended up it was um inflammation and um, the disease called cholangitis to my liver and that basically my liver was the biles were blocked so they couldn't pass everything through the liver it was like i was in a hospital for nine days i was admitted at a very timely manner based on the you know the pain that i was going through and i just have to at this point thank every single nurses and the doctors at a hospital and the day that i left i went and i told them i came into the hospital broken into pieces but i'm going home in one piece so i know the, the resources are limited i know the government is not providing enough nurses doctors equipment and everything however at this point with the care that i received the love that i received the attention that i received day and night when i was there and uh, it was tremendous. So I was looking for a, uh, a time, uh, an opportunity to thank, and I thought this is the best time to do that. So I just want to thank from the bottom of my heart on behalf of my family, the love that I care. I received at St. Mary's Hospital. I'm back at work. Uh, I did a surgery, and they, they cleared everything in my liver, and um, I'm back. So I'm still weak. I lost like 19 pounds in about two weeks, but 
I'm back. I'm back. So I just want to thank everybody for what they did. Kevin, that's a great story. Thanks for sharing it. Thank you. Have a great day. And what a way to offer that thanks for the care that he received from St. Mary's Hospital. And so I'll just say again and reference again that clip that Devin Robertson pulled from our conversation with Julia Malott and her daughter Angelina. It's not the people within the system. It's the system itself and the way it's not working today and the need here for a political solution. We got to figure this stuff out. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. just a couple minutes away from 10 o'clock and your update from the city news center immediately following that update we're going to have a talk about accessibility in the city of cambridge it's 2024 and if you were to grade the city cambridge that is on its accessibility you'd probably be generous if you graded it a c minus like what do we need to do to improve that grade and make Cambridge a fully accessible city. We will have that conversation right after this update from the City News Centre. Don't forget, of course, every day here on the show, we open up our phone lines for the final hour. It's what we call the 12 o'clock talk back, so it's your opportunity to have a say on something we discussed on the show today or anything else that's on your mind. You get to direct the conversation from 12 until 1 during the 12 o'clock talk back hour. In just about 90 minutes' time, we're going to have a visit from our friends at KW Legacy, which is an organization, really, it's a bunch of old high school friends that got together, and it's Good Friends, Better Deeds. And they work together to, and they've created a scholarship program for high school students across our community. And there's a new partnership that will allow allow them to provide even more scholarships. Maybe your child would qualify for one. So we'll learn more about that Uh, at 11.30 this morning. And in just over one hour from now, are you ready for another season of Challenger Baseball? I'm ready to talk baseball on this dreadfully long 31st of January. The month can't go away quick enough. So we'll talk a little bit about baseball as well in about 60 minutes. Now to the City News Centre and then making Cambridge more accessible. That's the conversation on the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. The province has mandated that municipalities get on board with its Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, the AODA. And the deadline to implement that which is in the act is fast approaching. Now, just over a year away as 2025 looms as we come up on the end of the first month of 2024. So if we look at, for example the city of Cambridge, and how close it is to meeting the requirements under that AODA, it's not exactly in a great position 
a year out. Sherry Roberts is Ward 5 counsellor in the City of Cambridge, also a disabilities advocate, and joins us for a conversation. Sherry, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great this morning. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to hear that, and I'm always happy to have you on, especially to talk about issues as important as this to so many people in the city of Cambridge. If we were to look with kind of the the high-level view here, Sherry, where are we seeing the shortcomings between where Cambridge is at right now when it comes to accessibility and where it needs to get in order to fulfill what's required under the Act? Well, I think that we're actually fulfilling what is required under the Act. I think where the shortcoming is, is within the Act itself. So a lot of folks, I think, have some misconceptions around what the AODA can do and things like existing buildings, um, you know, they're not required to be made accessible under the current AODA. Uh, It really goes on, you know, new construction and extensive renovations, things like that. Um, Around the actual municipality, they are meeting all of their requirements in terms of filing their compliance reports and creating their um, their annual um, accessibility plans and things like that. Um, but I think that the AODA itself has been quite uh, let down. <laughs> so where is that falling short then? Where is the act itself falling short? Well, I just remember, Mike, back in you know 2005 when I first heard about the AODA and hearing about this beautiful future, 2025, fully accessible Ontario. Um, being a person with a disability myself, I was filled with hope that we would have of a space where, you know, folks with disabilities could could get around in our communities in a way that everyone else is able to. And uh, that really hasn't happened because of those shortcomings. So the restrictions around the built environment piece in the AODA, it's very limited what it actually applies to. Um, even our OBC, so the Ontario Building Code, really falls short. Uh, and so while we are meeting our requirements as a municipality under that legislation, we're not meeting the needs of folks with disability, that's for sure. Is there any opportunity for the Act to be opened up for further review? And then, I mean, I know you talking, you know, from 05 to 2025 and you were picturing this beautiful future where you've got a fully accessible community. I don't know if we're talking another 20 years out from 2025, but is there any opportunity for review here? It's being reviewed right now, yeah. And in, and it will take time, you are correct. You know, it's taken 20 years to get even this incremental change that we've seen and so the good thing mike is that we're able to do things uh locally um outside of our provincial legislation so um here in the city we're doing some wonderful things going above and beyond what is uh legislatively required by us so things like creating our facility accessibility design standard which is um a document that can be used by uh, is going to be used hopefully as soon as it passes um fingers crossed at council, um, and it will be used for all of our new builds, um, any municipal builds, and we can, you know, allow any private builder to also access that document if they want to go above and beyond and make a space that is not just, you know, accessible, but truly inclusive. So gone are, you know, we're hoping that gone are the days of, you know, say an accessible or a counter where everything's high, and then they have a, a little accessible area around the corner, things like that. So we're looking at building not just accessible spaces, but truly inclusive, universal design. Is it easy to implement, Sherry? Is this uh, the sort of thing that can be plugged and played and maybe what the city creates, the region can adopt and what the city creates, as you mentioned, a builder can use the template. And is it re- relatively easy then to make these fully accessible buildings? 
Absolutely. Starting from day one is the, the best and simplest and, and least expensive way to make things truly inclusive. So when you have to go back and change things afterwards, we always know, you know, you know, that's going to cost way more money. But if you're doing it right from the beginning and you're able to use documents like our FAD document to, to make your design from day one, um, it, you're just going to be creating a space that's going to work for everyone. We have such a you know, diverse population here. We have an aging population. Folks with disabilities are living longer because of, you know, our better, our better uh, health system, things like that. So I think we just need to plan not only for right now, but for future generations to come. And so it sounds, Sherry, like the real obstacle here is in these older buildings where the requirements are not there to bring them up to current code. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's absolutely fair. And Mike, you're, you're quite, you know, you know, Cambridge, we're full of interesting um, things like we have tons of heritage buildings. We're a very hilly city, which makes things, um, you know, sometimes challenging from a grade perspective. Um, we have uh, two beautiful rivers running through us, which, again, beautiful, but adds some challenges around accessibility in our parks. But we're seeing some great things happening with um, our staff. So you just have to look to the consultation that's happening around our parks master plan and and the amount of consultation that's going into our accessibility community. Um, Things like our rec complex, it's going to be incredible. They are going above and beyond what is required to make that a truly inclusive space. So I'm already seeing great things happening here in the city. And I hope that we can become a benchmark community for inclusion and accessibility around the region and, and the province. I love to hear that. And, you know, you make me think, Sherry, with the great work that you're talking about going on today in Cambridge. And as the AODA is being reviewed, maybe it's municipalities that can kind of lead the way here. Yeah, absolutely. From what I'm hearing, there might be a couple of new standards included, which are ones that I feel should have been included from the beginning. So one around education and another around health care. So Um, You know, in my work in advocacy, I've heard from so many folks that they have such a struggle accessing accessible health care in our community. And this is something that I would love to see addressed through this review. And and we'll see what the AODA looks like when it rolls back out again. But um, hopefully it will be, you know, it will it will capture all of these other barriers that folks are facing. Sherry, I really appreciate you making time on the show this morning. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, anytime, Mike. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Sherry Roberts is a Ward 5 counselor in the city of Cambridge. She is also a longtime advocate for those with disabilities. She herself is in a wheelchair. And really what we learn in this conversation is that it's not so much the city that's failing. It's the act right. itself. And you consider... Look, you know, going back into the past to 2005 when there was this projection that by 2025 we would be in this beautiful, inclusive, welcoming world for all, including those in our community who, with disabilities, be they visually impaired, uh, physically have physical challenges, whatever the case may be. And we're not there yet because the act itself, the provincial legislation, The Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act is where we're actually seeing the shortcomings. And what a great opportunity here for the children to kind of lead the parent here. We always talk about the uh, cities being the, the creatures of the province, the children really of the province. Well, maybe the province can look to the cities who are leading the way.
on all of this. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Sometimes the big voice guy plays right into my hands, getting the answers to the big questions, because brace yourself, here it comes. Devin Robertson is our guy on the other side of the glass. Devin, have you ever visited the city of Montreal? Yes. Did you go to Schwartz's Deli, have yourself some corned beef? I don't believe I did. Okay, that's that. Next time, make sure you do. It's it's an absolute must. And then you probably know, it's a great city, by the way. As much as I loathe the hockey team that plays there and will never, ever say its name on the air, uh, I, I think the city's fantastic. Great place to go. Lots of lots of great architecture, lots of things to do. And along with Schwartz's Deli, one of the things that Montreal is famous for, much like the city of New York, is its bagels. Did you try a Montreal bagel while you were there? Oh, yeah. That you did. Okay. Yeah. So here comes the big question that we now need an answer to. Is a bagel still a bagel if it does not have a hole in the center of it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making this stuff up. I mean, These are the things that people are being forced to ponder at this very moment. Surely. Surely it still can't. I mean, no, like, it doesn't. What do you mean, surely? It does not. A bagel A bagel is all about like the consistency of the bagel, right? A bagel, when you bite into it, regardless of a hole in the middle, feels different than if you bite into a slice of bread or if you bite into a, an English muffin or something. There's a consistency to the bagel... Of the the, um, the the bread, the breading of the bagel, that's the key. If you gave me a bagel and, you know, it, you filled in the hole and gave me more of the actual content, I'm not going to be like, hey, I wanted less of this. So what you're saying is all these years, even in the best bagel city on the planet, Montreal, we've been getting ripped off because the hole is just denying us more of the bagely goodness. Here's what I'll say. You could have more bagel. You could have less bagel. If you want to advocate for less of the bagel, by all means, to each their own. But if you could give me more bagel, especially a Montreal bagel, I'm all for it. You make a very compelling case, my friend. (laughs) You make a very compelling case. And here's the reason I ask the question, because there is a bakery in Montreal that is now offering a whole less... (laughs) Bagel and and Saul Restrepo, the owner and manager, says exactly what Devin just said. It's the same thing, handmade, same process of our other bagels with the holes, but we deny you none of the bagel. There is no hole, and customers for a limited time can get the bagel without the hole. I'm all for it. Okay. You know what? I think you may have convinced me. And I'm not the biggest bagel person, to be honest with you, which is strange. Although sometimes our boss comes in here with a bunch. I don't remember where he gets them from, but they're awfully good. Like I can just eat them plain. I don't need anything on them. (laughs) Bagel without a hole. Mary's on the phone with us. Mary, is a bagel without a hole still a bagel? No. Okay. Well, now, Devin, what are you going to do about that? Now, are you going to argue with Mary now? If I have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, listen, Mike, and good morning to good you. Good morning to you, too. Um, this has been fun. They had almost five minutes on the CBC about the bagel with what? a hole. Are yeah. you kidding me? 
And it was so Wait, my tax dollar? Hang on a second. Hang on. I work at a private radio station here. I'm spending good, hard-earned revenue from this radio station. But we used used our tax dollars to talk about this on the CBC? I guess we did. Okay. But it was fun. (laughs) It was uplifting. What did you learn? Not not bad news. Okay. So so the... um, I don't know why the guy did that. I think he's giving them away free. You know what I think happened, Mary? I'll bet you dollars to donuts, pun intended. <laughs> I'll bet you he made a mistake. He's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just sell the bagel without the hole in it. Fine. Yeah, well, he's giving them away free. He's giving them away for free? Yeah, yeah, to anybody who wants them. And, um, so Dev, let's take a road trip to Montreal. I'm down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there was uh, a Jewish lady uh, that the... Uh, reporter asked about it and she said no it's unholy a bagel's unholy without you know without the hole well it would be unholy literally yeah yeah and and she said and um it means it's a circle of life so without the hole uh it, it just isn't that way so and you know almost everybody they send in letters no one wants the bagel without a hole they want holes in the bagels I was pretty, I, I, I think I was pretty agnostic on the whole idea, but Devin has convinced me that I want more of the bagly goodness, so I will take the bagels without the holes. Oh. Uh, I know. Well, I thought you were a traditionalist. Come on. <laughs> Come on with your coming on, Mike. Get with the hole in the bagel. All right, Mary, thanks for the call. If they're giving them away for free, Dev, and nobody in Montreal really wants them, I think we've just got a really good reason to take this show on the road. Absolutely. We want the whole, it, it'll be the holeless bagel road trip. Yeah. Farwell and Devon take Montreal. Yeah, I'm, let's, right now. I am down right now. <laughs> Who knew the hole in the bagel could be so important? This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. I just received the most confusing email I've ever received. It might as well say, how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Or Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Or something like that. Devin, maybe you can help me make sense of this, because it comes from our colleague Robert, who produces the TV side of this show, along with the hardworking team over there. Robert writes to me via email to Mike at 570news.com. A bagel is not a bagel without a hole. But how big does a bagel have to become to be a bread straw? How many holes does a bagel have? How many holes does a straw have? <laughs> I, I'm confused. My head hurts. Uh, yeah. I mean, the how many holes does a straw have is a fun one. It's one. Oh, uh, yeah. It's one okay. continuous. We, we, see, we, yeah, exactly. Yeah. How many holes does a bagel have? Well, just the one. So what the hell is Robert talking about? <laughs> <laughs> bagel straws. I don't know. It's. I mean... Listen, I have a hard enough time with the paper straws, okay? Uh, and along those lines, right, could you imagine a bagel straw and how soggy that thing is getting? I, I, that fall apart almost immediately. Almost no? immediately, no question about it. So the bagel straw, I'm out with. I have a hard enough time with the paper straws. And, and the most recent, I don't know what you even want to call it, monstrosity in the no more plastic cutlery department is these little wooden things. You tried those? Uh, not you, yet. Don't. I mean, just if you see one, forget about it. Like, I don't know what they're trying to do with that stuff, but it is awful. It's no way to eat a civilized meal. I promise you that. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. 
knowing nothing about the wooden instruments. I'm fine. I'm fine with the little wooden uh, tong to to pick up some French fries with. That's sure. fine. Sure. But we're talking like forks, knives, spoons that are like I don't even know. It's it's some kind of wood stuff. It's not cool. It's not cool. Uh, speaking of those fries, and you can pluck them with a little wooden tine. Thanks to my friend Tim Wilcox, who shared on another page I happened to see this morning uh, a photo that he had. The last one he took of Sonny's circa 2019. As you know, Sonny's has been demolished in Waterloo. And we are now mourning its loss. But thanks to Tim's photo, we can relive some of the, the memories, the good times. And you can find it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Mike Farwell Show. we got to get to a news update. And then tomorrow marks the beginning of Heart Month. That conversation plus... What do Olympic boxing and our construction association have in common? You'll find out coming up. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Today is the 31st of January, marking the merciless end to the longest month of the year. I know other months have 31 days, but holy Hannah, does this one feel like it has dragged on for far too long. Thank you very much. Tomorrow then, of course, begins February, and February is Heart Health Month. Mandy Sade is a registered practical nurse and joins us for a conversation. Mandy, good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much for making the time to talk about an important part of the month of February. Why do we mark uh, Heart Health Month? What's the message here? So it's just kind of fitting, obviously, um, in keeping with um, Valentine's Day. So it's just a a good place to to kind of start, a good marker. Um, Yeah, and we just kind of start talking about all things heart health. So what should we know when it comes to our heart health? So very important to um, check in um, to kind of know where you're at with your blood pressure, where you're at with your healthy eating, um, seeing your primary care provider regularly if you can. Um, Yeah. What sorts of things do we do during the month, Mandy, to kind of keep Heart Health Month on our radar? So something that we're doing here at Community Healthcare in KW is with our, our partnership with um, the Kitchener Public Library um, on Valentine's Day, February 14th, perfect day for it. <laughs> we will be, uh, I will be joined with um, my colleagues and we will be at the Queen Street site, the downtown Kitchener site, uh, running a blood pressure clinic. Um, so just a really, really great place to um, kind of be where people are already kind of at um, and just... Um, helping people understand the importance of checking blood pressure. It's about just empowering people to um, um, know about heart health knowledge. Um, We can learn about the importance of uh, blood pressure monitoring, understanding risk factors, and just kind of knowing when it's time to kind of consult with a a primary care provider. Um, Yeah, so... Can you share some of those tips with us, what we need to be aware of and, and when it might be time to check in with somebody in the healthcare community? Well, if you're, if you're feeling unwell, um, if you say, uh, you know, in the wintertime, we're doing lots of snow shoveling. 
So if you're really feeling like, oh, I don't feel so good, I'm, you know, with these exertional activities, um, there's blood pressure monitors kind of everywhere at, at pharmacies, etc. Um, so, you know, that's a good starting point is just kind of checking in with your heart there um, and, and popping a blood pressure monitor on and just seeing where you're at. What about when it comes to nutrition and, and maybe the things that we can eat in order to keep our heart healthier? Mm-hmm. The green leafy vegetables are, are, are really, really good, um, a good food to, to have. Um, just in, with that as well, we are also running a HeartWise uh, Nutrition, Eating for a Strong Heart. Um, that is uh, at the end of February, February 27th. That's at our um, Francis Street location of the health centre. Um, and all are welcome. Uh, our wellness programs are open to anyone in the community. Um, February 27th from 1.30 to 3, we will have a registered dietitian uh, talking, focusing on nourishing our bodies for a heart and blood vessel, for our heart and blood vessel health. Um, and then she will talk a lot about um, just different tips and tricks uh, for healthy eating habits. There'll be some games and light ref- refreshments as well. Is this sort of outreach, Mandy, something that's important to the work you do at Healthcare in KW? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's it's really, really important um, that we foster stronger connections within our community. Um, our commitment really involves, um, you know, getting crucial health information out there, risk factors, um, the impact of lifestyle changes, um, and just to try to achieve better health outcomes within our community. I'm so glad that you're here and doing that kind of outreach, and it makes so much sense, as you said, February. Mm-hmm. And on the 14th, you're going to have that event at the Kitchener Public Library yeah. on Queen Street uh, to mark yeah. Heart Health Month. It's great yeah, work. Cons- yeah, consider coming out to join us. Your heart will thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Mandy, thanks very much for being with us on the show. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks you for too. having me. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Mandy Sade is a registered practical nurse with the Healthcaring KW Health and Wellness team. They've got a couple of events coming up this month for Heart Health Month. And of course, I was going to say in the region, but it's not just in the region. Of course, it goes nationwide. And it's not lost on me that we have this conversation today ahead of Heart Health Month launching tomorrow. And the day after, our health minister was in the region at St. Mary's Hospital, making an announcement to support life-saving cardiac care at St. Mary's General Hospital with the planning, design, and implementation of a new cardiac catheterization lab. So there you go. That announcement was being made yesterday. On the same day, of course, we learned about a really chilling story from a mother and daughter whose daughter had appendicitis and was trying to get some care in the emergency room at St. Mary's, eventually over to Grand River. It it was tough. But when we think about things like Heart Health Month in February, it ties into something that I have long believed in here in this space, and and I've shared it with you before. Instead of calling it a health care system, I think we need to accurately call it a sick care system because the system is designed to be there for us when we fall ill. I love initiatives like Heart Health Month and a variety of the other things that we do that encourage us to be more proactive, that encourage us to watch out for this or that, to maybe change this behavior or that behavior. We don't have to give up all the good things, 
by any stretch of the imagination. But I really think the investments we make in prevention, the investments we make in prolonging the inevitability of needing the sick care system are some of the best investments we can make. So kudos to our health-caring KW Health and Wellness team for promoting Heart Health Month and the events that go along with it. Uh, we just spoke with Mandy Day, a registered practical nurse. We're going to go from one Mandy to another. I didn't even realize that until this moment as we move into our next conversation and make a connection between boxing and our local construction association. Hmm, Mandy, boxing. I wonder who the guest could be. Coming up on the Mike Farwell Show, this is City News 570 and Rogers TV. The Grand Valley Construction Association has found itself a new manager of industry and community partnerships. And that new manager of industry and community partnerships at the Grand Valley Construction Association happens to be none other than 11-time Canadian national boxing champion, Mandy Bujold, who joins the program this morning. Hey, champ. Good morning. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. How are you? Good. Different kind of introduction this time. It's great. It is. And I wondered about that. I mean, the number of times we have talked over all of these years, Mandy, it's all been in the context of your boxing career and things that you're doing in the community. This is certainly different. Manager of industry and community partnerships. What are you going to be doing in this role with the Grand Valley Construction Association? Yeah, so it's still very new. So it's, you know, I've been in the role for about a month now. Um, but it's, you know, it, it is that transition for me from, you know, the sporting world, um, trying to find the things that I really enjoy. Obviously, we know community is a big piece of that. Um, so now being able to do that in a new industry is very exciting. So, you know, growing up, my dad was in construction. So I kind of understood construction from, you know, that perspective. Um, but to be honest, it was never anything I looked at as, hey, you know, I'm going to go into that one day because I just assumed it was all kind of, you know, trades or, or labor work. Um, and now it's really opening my eyes to all of the amazing opportunities, how big this industry is, how dynamic this industry is. Um, and it's, it's honestly, it's been very exciting right now. You know, I, I think, too, Mandy, as as I consider this, I mean, again, reflecting on previous conversations with you as a champion boxer in a sport, really, that we most often associated with men. You were blazing a trail to a degree in that regard. And here you are now in another industry where only 4% of the industry is women. Yeah, and that that is obviously going to be a big focus is how can we, you know, make this industry more attractive to women? How can we bring women in? How can we make them feel um, like they belong, you know? And I think that from the conversations I've had early on, I feel like that is changing. Um, you definitely see a lot of women on the, you know, business side of construction. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how we can translate that into the field as well. And it does come down to, you know, having the right training, having the, the right people um, speaking up and, and making sure that they feel comfortable in that environment as well. What are you able to rely on or fall back on from your training as an athlete to bring to this new role with the Construction Association? 
Honestly, there's so many similarities between boxing and construction. <laughs> and I mean, I think in business in general, but um, it's been really interesting. I think one of the biggest topics that have, you know, resounded with everyone I've spoken to is health and safety. Um, and it's it's a very real thing on a construction site. There's so many moving pieces. You have to get this team to be working together. And, you know, everyone's job relies on one another to kind of keep building and make this finished project um and it's the same thing you know in the boxing world it's also you know safety is is a big concern right a lot of people look at it they see you know what they see in the rocky movies and they think oh you get punched and you're going to get a concussion and you're going to get hurt um but there's a lot of safety aspects that are put in place to ensure that doesn't happen right so i think um you know just being able to find those similarities finding a way to connect with these people um finding a way to to just be able to also just be a different voice right they're probably used to hearing a lot of the same safety talks a lot of the same you know um initiatives where it's like, hey, you know what, maybe I can bring a different perspective. Maybe there's some learnings that I have through my sport background that I can kind of bring and just, you know, sometimes it just helps to hear it in a different way, in a different context. And and more broadly, you know, women only representing 4% of the mm-hmm. construction industry aside, we're talking about an industry that is in need of more skilled workers generally. So anything we're doing in that regard, I'm sure, is incredibly important right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's really just trying to figure out how we can get people to start thinking about construction as their first career option, right? So there's programming within the school boards, um, you know, getting the school counselors on board with that too, because there's so many you know, opportunities and they're very rewarding, right? How awesome is it to be able to like physically do something and then see your final project? Um, and then there's other aspects of it, right? It, it ranges from, you know, architects to engineers to trades. Um, there's so many pieces that go into finalizing a project that um, we definitely want to encourage, you know, every you know, young girl, young boy to consider this as a career option because it's something that's never going to go away. You're always going to need construction. When it comes to building community partnerships, I, I think it could be a lot more difficult for some when you call up and say, hi, it's Mandy Bujold calling. I mean, I'm guessing doors open a little bit or? <laughs> I, I might use it to my advantage sometimes, but um, yeah, it's good. I mean, I think it's important, right? It's important to, to figure out how we can get people together, how we can work towards, you know, a common goal. And for us, it's because we're so broad, we work with, you know, over 700 companies. We do want to build community. It's important, right? We're physically building community, but we also want to bring people together. Um, it is our 50th year anniversary. We're doing some amazing things um, at the association this year to, to just ensure that people kind of really feel a part of of something incredible within this industry. I can't think of anybody more community-minded for the role. I'm so glad we have the chance to talk in this latest capacity, and I'm sure there will be more conversations, Mandy. Congratulations on the new role, and thanks for being here this morning. Thanks, Mike. Mandy Bujold is the new Manager of Industry and Community Partnerships with the Grand Valley Construction Association, which is marking its golden anniversary in its 50 year, 50th year. Mandy, of course, we know her very well because she has represented this community so well, an 11-time Canadian national boxing champion. And she now assumes the role of manager of industry and community partnerships with the Grand Valley Construction Association. And as we talked about towards the end of that conversation, it's one thing to recognize that within the construction industry generally, it's got only 4% representation by women. So 
obviously there is room to grow in that regard. But more generally, in our skilled trades, in construction, period, we are in need of workers. And so this is just, I think, uh, a perfect fit right now at a very good time for the Grand Valley Construction Association. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Just a couple of minutes away from 11 o'clock and your update from the City News Centre. And then what better conversation on a grey January day other than baseball and specifically challenger baseball i love both of those things when you put them together we'll have that conversation coming up devin robertson our guy on the other side of the glass i witnessed something very odd this morning dev i was walking down the hallway past our studio towards the newsroom yeah and as i'm coming up to the newsroom there's our buddy and colleague josh gory a reporter in the newsroom yep down on the floor doing push-ups. <laughs> now, I say I witnessed something so because I, I do this in here, but I do it in the studio with nobody else around. Sometimes people come in the door, I hear them, but I'm down on the floor. They can't see me. They don't even know that I'm here. I try to <laughs> try to hide my push-ups. But there was, there was Josh, and you know why he was doing that? Because he's getting ready for the push-up challenge for the Canadian Mental Health yeah. Association. Yeah. So a bunch of us are starting it tomorrow. It's going to run for three weeks. We have to do 2,000 push-ups over the course of three weeks. So based on what I saw this morning, I'm counting on Gory to carry the entire team. <laughs> He's going to put the team on his back. <laughs> right? I mean, literally, I should have tried that because he was pumping them out. He's, he gets back up, so I just did 40. I'm like, 40? Like, I'll be lucky to do 40 in a day. He's doing 40 in one set, but I probably could have sat on his back. He's a strapping young lad. He could have pushed me up. Yeah, well, just think of how many could do afterwards once he doesn't have your weight on top. Exactly. I'd be helping him out with his training. (laughs) Anyway, I love how invested he is in this. So I'm going to share this on our social media channels tomorrow. Facebook, uh, our Facebook page, The Mike Farwell Show, on Twitter at Farwell underscore WR. But we're going to launch it tomorrow. I... I think I can do the 2,000 push-ups because I got 21 days or 22 days to do it. I feel like I can make this happen. But I have faith in you. Thank you. But I haven't started practicing yet like Gory. <laughs> like, honestly, the guy's right there, right in the middle of the newsroom, cranking out some push-ups. What a guy. What a guy, eh? <laughs> we need more people like Josh Gory in this world. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I should have asked Devin Robertson to use that talking baseball song that we play when we have Ian Hunter, our Blue Jay hunter, on the show to talk Blue Jays baseball. But that's okay. We're not talking about the Blue Jays anyway. Dare I say we're talking about an even better brand of baseball, a brand of baseball that doesn't feature Justin Turner and everybody being all upset that Justin Turner's becoming a Blue Jay. No, no. We're going to talk about challenger baseball and what it means to kids in our community. Kathy Lapar is a volunteer with Kitchener Minor Baseball. And I want to emphasize volunteer because if it wasn't for people like Kathy and the time that they devote to this community through volunteerism, I don't know where we would be. And I'm so pleased that she can make time in her busy schedule to join us on the show this morning. Hello, Kathy. 
Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. How did you enjoy that hockey game last night? Uh, I let's like you said earlier. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I will bet, though, Kathy. I will bet you thoroughly enjoyed the school choir that sang the national anthem. Yes, I enjoy. All, I enjoy all <laughs> sports, so it doesn't matter. But yeah. Just it's tough with London, you know. It is tough with London. You're right. We'll just leave that right there because I'm so excited <laughs> to talk to you about an upcoming third season of Challenger Baseball. Very exciting. What is Challenger Baseball, Kathy? Challenger Baseball is a program that um, the Jays Care has actually designed for kids, um, not just in our community but uh, Canada wide or, or worldwide, for kids with disabilities, whether it be cognitive or um, physical. So just giving um, everyone an opportunity to play baseball. Um, You know, we have a lot of kids that have um, walking devices or wheelchairs. Some kids have hearing impairments, uh, autism, cerebral palsy, different things like that. But this program gives everyone an opportunity to play baseball at their own level. What did it take to get this program off the ground here in the region? Um, well, three years ago, um, we were just learning about this program. Jay's Care has rolled it out for several years now, but it's been fairly new to southwestern Ontario. Um, we just found out about it a couple years ago, and uh, I was put into contact with Jay's Care, and uh, all the training and everything began from there. And then we did some uh, promotional um, in, promotional uh, programs with, throughout the community to try and get this program uh, more known. And now it's just grown into a big a big program, so it's really good. What does a game of Challenger Baseball look like? So we have, it's about an hour and a half each program, and we start with our warm-ups. Uh, those are usually uh, run by our little buddies. Um, buddies I'll talk to you about a little bit later. They're our volunteer kids. Um, so they start with the warm-up, and then they go into drills and skills and different things like that, and then we finish off with a mini-game and a little um, cool-down exercise. And and how do the buddies support all of this? <clears throat> the buddies, again, are volunteers. Um, we do have a lot of adult buddies, and we also have um, <clears throat> um, player buddies, like um, other from Kitchener Minor Baseball, Waterloo Minor Baseball, the Bearcats, all the different associations. Um, a lot of the people come out and support the kids. Um, so a buddy is a one-on-one that works with a specific athlete that might help them with some of their challenges, whether they need help hitting the ball off a tee, whether they want uh, help hitting the ball with an actual bat, um, not from a tee, if they need help getting from base to base. So a buddy is a, a, like an assistant that will help them um, with the various tasks that they need help with. What's the response been like to the Challenger Baseball program since you launched it three years ago? Oh my gosh, it's been huge. I can't even explain. Um, the first year we didn't know what to expect, so we kind of capped it at 25. Although our very first year we only had seven athletes join, which was fine. It was a, a learning curve for all of us. So we had seven our first year. And then last year, believe it or not, we had 43 athletes register for the program. So our program um, jumped really uh, in huge amounts. So we're not sure. Um, the sky's the limit. We're not sure what's happening this year. Um, we do have three different levels, though. We have broken the group into three different levels this year because um, last year, that many people on Crosby Diamond was a little bit uh, chaotic at times. So we have split the group into um, three different levels this year. So we're, we're going to have a fundamentals group, we're going to have a little rookies group, and we're going to have a big hitters group. So 
fundamentals is more based on um, brand new to baseball, brand new, wanting to learn different skills. Little Rookies is for younger children, but ones that um, want to learn and get improved, but, you know, not not so much competitive. And then the big hitters are for kids, um, very similar to the Ice Pirates, where, you know, down the road we might have a tournament with another group, maybe in Cambridge. Um, I know Guelph is interested in starting a Challenger baseball program this year. So down the road, our, our goal is to maybe have a tournament similar to, like, the Ice Pirate format. You mentioned uh, the fields there at Crosby Park in Kitchener. Is that the place that Challenger Baseball is played right now? Well, I'm happy to share some good news with you. Um, Challenger Baseball is played at Crosby Park for this year. Um, We have been in the works and talking with the city of Kitchener. And um, as you already know, Mike, um, we are getting our, our own field of dreams next year. Um, it's going to be called the Diamond of Dreams, and it's going to be uh, Diamond Number 5 at Upper Canada in the Dune area, and it's going to be a 100% fully accessible diamond. So it will be accessible for all of our special needs athletes, and uh, it will be hopefully ready to go for summer of 2025. I had heard about this little Diamond of Dreams, and I think it's absolutely fantastic. And it's a testament, Kathy, to you and the rest of the volunteers that have made this program into such an incredible program over just two short seasons already. Well done. Thank you very much. It's just, um, you know, until uh, we began this program, I wasn't myself even aware of all the different obstacles there was out there. But over the last couple of years, last season, especially with the amount of children we had, um, it was just uh, alarming to see all the different obstacles that um, various athletes faced. So, we, we worked together and I visited different cities and different um, diamonds of dreams or fields of dreams or um, miracle fields, they're called in the States, when I've been traveling. And um, I saw different uh, things and I just got the ideas and we put together a presentation. Uh, we pre- presented it to the city and we got a huge support from the city. So um, for this season, they're going to make some <clears throat> upgrades to the Crosby Diamond to make it more accessible and more attainable for um, the athletes that will be using it, just as a like a temporary band-aid until we can get our um, Diamond of Dreams um, built and ready to go. But the city has been very supportive of this initiative, so it's great. So as we approach February, beginning tomorrow, I know that registration for the upcoming Challenger baseball season is about to open. Yes, that's right. I am, this year we're going to open it on March 1st. We're just finalizing a few details, um, again, with the three different levels that we have. And then uh, we're going to make a little bit more um, detailed registration form just to get some more information on our athletes, just to make us more prepared for the season. So, um, again, we're just making a few little tweaks still. So registration will open on March 1st. But one other thing I'd like to mention to you um, is that on April 6th, um, we're going to have a try-it day. So I will be posting stuff um, on social media later on, but it's on April 6th from 12.45 to 1.45. We're going to be having a try-it day. So for those athletes or those friends that don't uh, aren't familiar with the program yet, they can come to the yard at 777 Lawrence Street in Cambridge to um, to try it out for free, just to um, to see if it's something that they might like. And to to get used to the different equipment and um, all the equipment is accessible 
and it's um, designed for a various set of abilities. That's right. 777 Lawrence Street in Cambridge is the new home of the offices of Kitchener Minor Baseball now. That's correct. You're right. I love the way we share around here. Kitchener Minor Baseball at a street in Cambridge. It's perfect. Uh, Where? Okay, so you mentioned uh, March 1st is when we're going to open registration for the upcoming season. April 6th is this try it day. Where can we learn more, Kathy, if anybody's interested? And maybe we've piqued some interest here this morning. Where can we learn more about Challenger Baseball? Um, If you go to the Kitchener Minor Baseball website, there is a link on there in the drop-down menu for Challenger Baseball. And my contact information is there. And then we will have registration information in there as well coming uh, coming in the near future. But if anyone would like to contact me, all my information is on the Kitchen Minor Baseball website. Or my email is Kathy, C-A-T-H-Y dot Lapar, L-A-P-A-R, at KitchenerMinorBaseball.ca. I love what you've done with the program. I can't wait for another season of Challenger Baseball. Kathy, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Thank you, Mike, and thank you for all your support for the last few seasons. Absolutely, anytime. I can't wait to be back out on the diamond with all of you. Thank you so much. Okay, Kathy, have a great day. Yes, you too. Thanks, bye-bye. Bye. Kathy Lapar is the volunteer who's the driving force behind Challenger Baseball. You can visit KitchenerMinorBaseball.ca and learn more about it. It's just a terrific program, smiles all around, uh, makes for a great day at the ballpark. And yeah, Kathy drops that little nugget. Kitchener's going to get its own little diamond of dreams in the Dune area, uh, hopefully ready for next season of Challenger Baseball. But the upcoming third season, registration opens in about a month's time. There's a try-it day on April the 6th. And again, for more information, just check out KitchenerMinorBaseball.ca. You'll find the link to Challenger Baseball right there. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. I just mentioned at the beginning of the last conversation we were having here on the show that it's never a bad day to talk about baseball. And really, it's not. I stand by that. You know, though, I might add to this, it's never a bad day to talk about Kitchener-Waterloo Oktoberfest. I will stand by that as well. In fact, I saw our executive director of KW Oktoberfest making the rounds of local councils talking about our great Bavarian festival. And that's a good thing. Let's keep it in the conversation year-round as we celebrate the big fall festival. And so... That same executive director of KW Oktoberfest, Tracy Van Kalspeek, joins us on the program this morning. Hello, friend. Good morning. Hi, Mike. (laughs) It's never a bad day to talk about Oktoberfest, right? It never is. And you're right. Well, thank you for uh, noticing that I have been making arounds to talk to different councils around, you know, Oktoberfest, where we are and where we're headed and getting people excited about the festival which we want people to be all year round, like you just said. Absolutely. I pay attention to these things. And when I see Oktoberfest on a council agenda, I'm like, I got to pay attention to this because, yeah, I want to stay in uh, connected to what you're doing and invested in what you're doing there. And it is great stuff all around. We do love it. And, and what we wanted to talk to you specifically about today, Tracy, is the annual Oktoberfest Rogers Women of the Year event. That's right. That's coming up. And nominations are now open for recognizing and honoring some of those outstanding women that we know there are, like 
thousands of in our community. And this is a long-standing event. It, it just it, it strikes me that, my gosh, we're just at the end of January and already we're opening nominations for the 2024 event. But what's what's the idea behind it? Where did this all come from? Yeah, and if you can believe it, it's actually our 49th year, which makes next year our 50th year of celebrating incredible women from our community. And so the last couple of years, we moved the event from that traditional Oktoberfest time to the May time frame, which I think was a great, great move on our part and really helps to make this event stand out even that much more. And especially, you know, with the partners that we have with Rogers and everybody else. Uh, it's just an incredible way to support women in our community. And I really think, you know, doing these types of events really help uh, increase that visibility of achievements that women have in our community and help us to build equality. What is the criteria for eligibility for Women of the Year, Tracy? Yeah, so it's uh, all over the place, Mike. You know, deserving women, there are 12 different categories. People can check them out on our website at womenoftheyear.ca. And, you know, this can be people that, you know, we work with, that we, you know, play with, we go to spin with, or whatever it is, people that we know from different walks in our life that are an inspiration to others in our community and stand out and uh, need to be recognized for that, uh, that motivation that they give us, that work that they do on behalf of our community, whatever it is. And so, yeah, like I said, 12 different categories, and I'm sure that we all know women probably within each one of those categories that would be very deserving of being centered out to say, hey, thanks so much for what you're doing, keep it up, and you know, inspire others to follow in your footsteps. As I understand it, it was a record year for nominations last year. It was. We had, I think it was 96 or 98. Wow. I can't quite remember the number. So we were close to that 100, which my understanding is, and you know, Mike, that I just joined the uh, Oktoberfest in July. So I, um, you know, I'm not 100% sure on everything, but I've been told that that was a three-year climb. So every year that we've been doing the events, the last three years, the numbers have continued to grow in nominations. So it really showcases the fact that you know, folks in our community really want to celebrate and identify women and what their achievements are in our community. I think we can crack the 100 mark for nominations this year, Tracy. I'm confident we can do this. we can. Yep, I agree, Mike. So, you know, get out there and nominate those really incredible, deserving women that you know in your life. And uh, all the information is on our website, like I said, at uh, womenoftheyear.ca. Our committee, made up of also incredible women, like I'm just blown away. They're just so deeply committed to this, this event and this cause of celebrating women in our community. Uh, they have made the process so easy. There's a guide there that takes you through step-by-step, the nomination form. Everything is simple and easy to follow to be able to nominate that person that you think. If I do have somebody in mind that I would like to nominate, what's required of me doing the nominating? So you go to our website, womenoftheyear.ca, check out the guide. But even that, like I said, it's very easy. Yeah, you make a person aware that uh, you're nominating them, and you fill out the form, and you submit it. And then we have a group of adjudicators, mostly made up of past Women of the Year recipients, award, or Women of the Year Award recipients. And, uh, yeah, they help us choose the different uh, the winners for this year in the different categories. Which, by the way, I know I mentioned 12, but... Uh, one of those 12 is a new category this year with skilled trades. Excellent. We were talking about that on the show earlier today, too, which is fantastic. I love it. So uh, just before I let you go, I mean, we have turned the calendar to 2024, which means 
the 2023 festival is put to bed. Now you're looking ahead to late September, early October, Thanksgiving weekend. How are you feeling, Miss Executive Director? <laughs> yeah, you know, like I came on board and, and basically jumped on a moving freight train, I feel, of, uh, you know, lots of different events and planning and everything else. And so now it's really being a part of, of uh, you know, what does 2024 look like and feel like? And, uh, you know, I'm excited about uh, the planning that's underway for various different events and what we're going to be doing in downtown and what our fest hall and partners are going to be doing. And, you know, as we, we adopt our strategic new strategic plan that was approved, in 2023, you know, that reimagination of the festival, I'm just super excited and I want everybody else to get excited too. And, you know, this is such a, uh, this festival is part of the brand of Waterloo Region. I think lots of people would agree with me on that. And so let's get excited about it and re-engaged about it. You know, let's have posters up and banners everywhere and uh, celebrating what Oktoberfest means in our community, celebrating our, our Bavarian roots but also celebrating our community, uh, coming together and, uh, you know, engaging with one another, whether it's through the parade, the Thanksgiving Day parade, uh, through coming out to our fest hall in, uh, our different events, Kidtoberfest, Dogtoberfest, our vendor market, our Ville Coleman Platz that we do in downtown Kitchener. There's so many great ways to get involved. Uh, and, you know, our applications are now open also for people if they're wanting to also get involved in volunteering too. So, you can find out information about that on our website, too, Oktoberfest.ca. You know what? I'm already looking forward to the next festival, and we're going to get over 100 nominees for Women of the Year. Tracy, thanks for all the work you do, and thanks for being here this morning. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Tracy Van Kalsbeek is the Executive Director of KW Oktoberfest. Nominations now open for the 2024 KW Oktoberfest Rogers Women of the Year. Just visit Women of the Year. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. One good conversation to the next, and I ran myself a wee bit behind my time. Apologies for that, especially to our City News Center, where I'm sure, I think it's Erin Anderson sitting over there waiting for the next update. We'll get right to her for that, and then I can't wait to get to the next conversation. We're having so many good conversations on the show this morning. And KW Legacy, which is a group here in the region that helps high school students with scholarship opportunities, has created a new partnership with St. Mary's University down east. We're going to tell you about that partnership and. Maybe, just maybe, this is something that your child would be eligible for. That conversation coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. Stay with us. City News 570. Well, I was just chatting during that update with Aaron, with one of our guests in studio this morning, and an old friend, I will add, in Mike Denemy, who's a board member with KW Legacy. Ten years ago... It all began, Denno, and and here we are today talking about the Sobe National Innovator Scholarships. We've come a long way from that first little chat we had on a patio in Waterloo. Sure have, Mike. <laughs> uh, we're we're excited to be here to talk about uh, Sobe's and St. Mary's today. Thanks absolute, for having us. It's an absolute pleasure. Dan Seneker is here as well, Associate Vice President Enrollment and University Registrar at St. Mary's University. Nice to see you, Dan. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, uh, Mike. Good to see you as well. Another St. Jerome's High School connection, and now here you are down east at St. Mary's. Exactly, from St. Jerry's to St. Mary's. <laughs> I love it. And Lauren Cullen is with us as well, the Director of Student Recruitment and Marketing at St. Mary's University. University. Thanks for making the trip 
West. It's nice to have you here as well. My pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> so, Dan, can we start with you? And can you tell us a little bit about these National Innovator Scholarships? Sure. So, um, St. Mary's has had a strong and healthy relationship with the Sobe family ever since the mid-70s, so going on 50 years now. Um, and uh, Frank Sobe, who is the patriarch of the, the big grocery uh, giant chain, um, he didn't have a chance to to go to university and, and pursue post-secondary. So he made it a part of his mandate as part of the company and family mandate to make sure that coming from Little Picto, Nova Scotia, that others would have the opportunity to do this. And so um, developed this relationship with St. Mary's and upon his passing, donated $18 million to this, to St. Mary's, of which able to um, endow a scholarship, which is the Sobe National In- Innovator Scholarship. And that's allowing both students from Atlantic Canada to study at St. Mary's, but also wanted to make it the mission to provide opportunities for students from outside the Atlantic region to come and experience what St. Mary's has to offer, one of the you know top business schools in Canada, number three in Canada for undergraduate. And so that's where the story kind of began. And the scholarship was developed, which is $50,000, to students to come and study business. So it helps open up the doors for not only the education, but also access for the students who typically may not have been able to come to now have an opportunity to come and get that full um, post-secondary education. So, Lauren, what brings the connection then to KW Legacy? Well, my colleague, uh, Dan Seneker, <laughs> of course, uh, being from the region, uh, we're, we're hoping to welcome more students from the region to St. Mary's University. Uh, we have a little more than 200 students from Ontario at the moment, so we're certainly hoping to welcome more, uh, encouraging students to come east and study in the heart of Halifax, where it's a, it's a great place to live and study and, and, and just be an undergraduate student. Yeah, can you tell me a little more about that? When Dan alluded to it, it got me thinking about it because my, my cousin actually went uh, down east to okay. school. And so I, I know it's a, a pretty unique atmosphere. What's it like at St. Mary's University? It's a great place to be a student. I am a proud alumni of the Bachelor of Commerce program. Uh, St. Mary's has a strong sense of community. We're known for having personalized attention through small class sizes and professors who really know your name. They know who you are when they pass you in the halls and and they can help you uh, find unique opportunities, be it co-op or study abroad or undergraduate research. Uh, and there's a lot of connections within the Halifax community as well. Mike, how does this, I mean, is it simple? a simple phone call between you and Dan, the old high school connection that makes this KW Legacy and St. Mary's University partnership happened? Yeah, it was great. Dan, Dan gave me a call, uh, sent me some sort of information about the, the vision, the values of both Sobeys and St. Mary's, and just totally aligned. So, like, when I think of the students we're looking for in our community to award our scholarships to, we're looking for future community leaders, whether they've done it or proven it. Uh, we're looking for future leaders and financial need, right? So, when we started talking a bit more, it was like, wow, like, we have a system. We're in all 21 schools. If you want to find the best students in our area, we can help that. We can help with that. And that's kind of how the conversations started. Right. So you're the conduit. KW Legacy becomes the conduit here in Waterloo Region yes. to help find these yep. next students and, and possible scholarship recipients down east. Exactly. Yeah. 
In studio with Mike Denemy with KW Legacy, Dan Seneker, and Lauren Cullen from St. Mary's University. We're going to take a quick break and come back and learn more about these Sobe National Innovator Scholarships and how they connect to us here in the region of Waterloo. Stay with us on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570, and Rogers TV. In studio this morning with Lauren Cullen, Director, Student Recruitment and Marketing at St. Mary's University. Dan Seneker, the Associate Vice President of Enrollment and the University Registrar at St. Mary's. And Mike Denemy, a founding member of KW Legacy here in our community. We're talking about the Sobe National Innovator Scholarships and the connection from St. Mary's University to KW Legacy and the opportunity perhaps for your child attending post-secondary to obtain one of these scholarships. Lauren, can we talk a little bit about the BCom program at St. Mary's? We certainly can. I actually completed my Bachelor of Commerce at St. Mary's University, uh, and the program has recently been renewed to have a, a greater emphasis on sustainability, ethical leadership, uh, and we're really excited about that. The, the program is, is customizable and, and very flexible. There's a, a range of majors from accounting, finance, marketing, entrepreneurship, and, and more. There's a, lot of, a strong emphasis on student success and support uh, from day one in the program, whether that's through uh, peer mentorship, uh, getting to know professors through personalized class sizes, a lot of hands-on learning opportunities through co-op and research and connections in the community. Um, but also very important is the reputation. We're one of the, the oldest and most well-established business schools in Atlantic Canada with um, the AACSB and Equus accreditations, which are uh, quality assurance accreditations for the Sobe School of Business, and we are the only business school in Atlantic Canada to have both accreditations. You must be a very proud alum when you can, you know, list off a program like that. <laughs> I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dan, you, you were talking mm-hmm. earlier about the, the history of these Sobe National Innovator Scholarships, the $18 million endowment. These scholarships are $50,000. Can you walk us through what that means for a, a potential applicant? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I know there's probably a lot of students out there who are thinking, okay, I don't have an, that 95% average, and uh, so then forget about this. And that's not what this scholarship is about. Yes, you have to be have solid academics and good background there, but we're looking more for that leadership component, the entrepreneurship, the the spirit of wanting to get into business, but also, as Lauren mentioned, the ethical part of it too. Like, So not only are we going to teach you how to run a good business, but we're also going to teach you about doing business for good. And so this scholarship helps with that. You get $20,000 in your first year and then $10,000 for the next three years after for the total of $50,000. And even though we're talking about the business, I'll just put a quick plug in that the university also has about $17 million a year that they give out in scholarships and bursaries. So if you're not interested in in business and want to study something else, there are other scholarship opportunities available too. So, um, you know, just don't think beyond business as well or combining business. In, in addition to the BCom, um, just to add on to what Lauren said, there's also new certificates in sport, wellness, and health, um, one on sustainability, and then also on uh, human resources, too. So there's various areas, depending on the interest of the students, that they can use this scholarship to help pursue. 
Mike, we talked earlier about how KW Legacy is connected to our secondary schools throughout this region, and that's how a partnership like this comes about. There's an opportunity through St. Mary's University. There's a connection between you and Dan. It's an easy phone call. All of a sudden, you've got the conduit into these schools. How does KW Legacy then work with the schools to make sure students are aware of these opportunities at St. Mary's University? Yeah, definitely today we're working mostly through the guidance counselors. Um, So... Yeah, the actual process is through there. When I think of our, our process and our application process, it's all available on our website, kwlegacy.ca. Kind of aligned to what Dan's saying, like we're, we're looking for those community leaders, proven leadership, and financial need, right? That, that's what we're kind of looking for. It's a very simple application to fill out, and Legacy is actually going to review all the applications for St. Mary's and advise them on which ones, according to how we analyze scholarships, the students that we'd recommend uh, to take forward. Right. And what a perfect time to be having this conversation because I mentioned during the commercial break, I've got a teenager that's just starting second semester, her final year of high school, and we're starting to look at post-secondary institutions. Any family that's doing that might want to consider one of these opportunities. Exactly. This is like $50,000 is a lot lot of money, right? So someone someone locally have that opportunity to go out east, actually, <laughs> you know, to school. It's a yeah. great opportunity, and that's why KTL Legacy is so interested. Sure. Yeah. So anybody, like you're working with the guidance counselors in the schools, you said, so people that are interested in these particular scholarships, kwlegacy.ca will be their connector? Yep, or their guidance counselor. Guidance counselor yeah. through the school, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, I don't mean to be as exclusive as I'm about to be, Lauren, but we were talking during the break, so Dan, Mike, and I, and I, I mean, it's fair because we were at an all-boys high school. It was still an all-boys there. Dan, does it, does it catch you a little bit? I know it catches me. The three of us went through the St. Jerome's High School in little old Kitchener. Mike's running KW Legacy now with a great team. You're down east at St. Mary's University. I'm still sitting here in Kitchener. I don't know what the heck I did wrong, but pretty wild, the connections from our old high school. It is. It's, it's actually amazing. Like uh, how we were talking about a, a school that hasn't been around for 30-plus years, and the connections are still strong. Um, and I think that speaks a lot to the success that we're going to have with St. Mary's and KW Legacy is that those bonds and all the values that we grew up with and were taught, um, including from your dad, um, those are the things that still stay with us. And that's why it's just a natural fit between St. Mary's and the values and the mission of the institution, Sobeys, and their value and mission and KW Legacy. So it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. Um, for for the partnership. How can I forget dad's role in all of this? I hope he's not listening today. His head's going to swell. Lauren, you're, I, I kid. My dad's a good sport, I promise. Uh, he was our principal, by okay. the way, back then. But you are alumni and now back working at St. Mary's University. How did that feel for you to come back to your school? Well, I actually never left. Never left. So <laughs> I, um, I got my job with student recruitment through the co-op program. So the Bachelor of Commerce program, uh, as uh, many of our other majors have an option for co-op. And so I started in my fourth year and here I am. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a great testament to a beautiful part of our country. And as Mike, you were saying earlier, what a great opportunity for somebody to spread their wings and maybe check out one of these scholarships that are available. I love how it's all come together. And I think it's uh, terrific news to share with the community. So thank you each for being here today and for the work that you've done to make this happen. Well, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having Thanks, us. Mike. 
Great seeing you. Dan Seneker is the Associate Vice President Enrollment and University Registrar at St. Mary's University. Lauren Cullen, the Director of Student Recruitment and Marketing at St. Mary's University. And Mike Denemy, a founding board member with KW Legacy. Check out kwlegacy.ca. Parents, tell your kids, check with their guidance counselor. Maybe one of these scholarships is open to them. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Well, I blame Ron, who emailed earlier this week and asked if there was any naked radio happening at the City News studios this week. By the way, that is the title of one of the shows coming up at Drayton Entertainment this year. You can be sure I'll be checking it out at some point. Maybe you would like to do the same. But why I'm blaming Ron is because when he asked that question, it's because I have, on many an occasion over the last month or two, talked about the unbearable heat that is in this studio. And honestly, I I thoroughly enjoyed catching up basically with old high school buddies and having the conversation about KW Legacy and the Sobe National Innovator Scholarships in the last segment, but I couldn't wait for the guests to leave so I could begin removing layers of clothing. You don't want to know what parts of... (laughs) I'm just going to leave it right there. Anyway, apparently they're working on all of the HVAC things. That's awesome. It is hot as ever love in Hades in this studio today. We are fast approaching the noon hour, which sadly means the end of our time with Rogers TV. Although, if you are watching on Rogers TV and would rather see somebody dressed professionally, you are probably thrilled that the Rogers TV portion of this show is coming to an end because I'm down to the undergarments yet again here in the studio. I'll make my radio colleagues deal with that as we move into our next hour and have time for the 12 o'clock talkback where you get to direct the conversation. And I thought we could have a little bit of fun with our 12 o'clock talkback today because I came across this really interesting question and a little factoid. And I thought you might have fun trying to guess the answer to the question, uh, which is on average, you will have 87 of these a year. I know what you're thinking. You're probably wrong. You would have 87 of what? every year. I guarantee you this much too. I've never even had one. So if you want to try to answer the question and have some fun with us during the 12 o'clock talk back, please stick around. Thanks to Robert and the team at Rogers TV for producing the TV side of this show. Time for an update from the City News Center and then the 12 o'clock talk back hour on the Mike Farwell show on City News 570 and so long Rogers TV. Take out the papers and the trash. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that dust out with that broom. Get all that garbage outside. Or you don't go out Friday night. Don't go back.
really like that song choice by Devin Roberts and our guy on the other side of the glass to launch into our 12 o'clock talk back hour each and every day. Yakety yak, please do talk back. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. I keep a monitor in this studio it's the fancy word we use in this business for a TV set. Like, honestly, there's a TV in my studio, okay? Uh, and it's on Rogers TV all the time because we are televised from 10 until noon every day on Rogers TV, Cable 20. And now that the show is off the TV because it's past noon, I noticed that they have flipped over to a meeting of Brantford City Council. And this is interesting to me because Brantford, if you didn't know, is working on building a new sports and entertainment center. It's going to replace the Brantford Civic Center where the Bulldogs currently play. And I'm here to tell you, I mean, nobody has said so officially just yet, but I'm pretty ding-dang sure that we are going to see the Brantford Bulldogs remain in the city of Brantford. I know it's supposed to be right now, if you follow the Ontario Hockey League, a temporary relocation from Hamilton. But Brantford is coming back to the Ontario Hockey League forever. If you were to ask me, that is my sense. I'm keeping half an eye on that meeting as we have our conversation here during the 12 o'clock talk back. And you get to guide the conversation. I would ask you, though, if you could please refrain from saying anything like Terry said when he called yesterday. Did you take a 20% pay cut uh, on your show now? Because there's 30 30 minutes less uh, on-air content now. Terry is a very astute individual. There's not there's not 30% less content on the show. Is that what he said, 30% less content? Uh, on your show now, because there's 30, 30 minutes less on-air content now. 30 minutes less. See, no, there's not. There might be just a little bit less for me, Terry, because there's some more traffic and weather that you get to hear and a little bit more news at the top and the bottom of the hour, as we say. I'm still here four hours every day. The reason I don't want you to say anything like Terry said yesterday is because my boss, at least four times since Terry was on the air yesterday, I like that guy that called up and said we should cut your pay. Terry, don't give anybody ideas. Did you take a 20% pay cut? No, I did not, and nor will I. Don't give anybody ideas. Terry, with your ideas. And finally, as you are participating in the uh, 12 o'clock talkback here today, if you would like to take a stab at answering... The million-dollar question. I thought we could have some fun as we go through this today. On average, you will have 87 of these each year. What are they? 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. You'll have 87 what every year? We'll go to the phones. Grant, good afternoon. So is this a 50% pay cut? <laughs> Listen, I, what did I just tell you? What I will hang up this phone, Grant. Oh, yes. You watch me. I'll do it. So, so you're going to give me one million? What am I going to give you one million for? If you take away fifty percent of my nothing, oh, I have no. You just said for this contest, you'll give me out a million. I'm not giving you no million nothing. Oh well, you just said. I know. said you'll get eighty-seven of these every year. Yeah. What are they? What are you going to have eighty-seven of this year, Grant? question yeah oh right sorry yeah, so next time your boss comes on i'm gonna ask him for that million 
Okay. Well, you have to get the answer first. Jeez. Uh, uh, and you haven't had one. Oh, wow. That's uh, maybe a winning lottie, lotto ticket. That is not the answer. Could you imagine having 87 winning lottery tickets every year? And let me see. And it's sad to see that Sonny's goal. I thought maybe when they sold it, someone would buy it. Because it, it, I... I always enjoyed it when I was going to Lowell Vacational. I I cleaned up their 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 area, and then they would give you uh, fries to eat. Oh, so good! Yeah, yeah, Grant, I love it too. And a lot of people are reminiscing about Sonny's Drive-In Burger Joint on Weber Street near University. I shared a picture, thanks to my friend Tim, on our Facebook page today, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show. I, my buddies were always fry guys. Me, nothing against the fries. Nothing at all against the fries. But for me, it was just, give me a burger, please. And I would get just the burger, made up the way I wanted, and then I would eat my burger. While they were preparing the burger, I started my game of Ms. Pac-Man. I would eat my burger while playing Ms. Pac-Man. They had the same old stand-up console Ms. Pac-Man game there forever, and it only cost a quarter. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. So you can check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show. Uh, one of the comments, and they're talking about the onion rings that are as big as a donut. Love it. Tim, good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? Not bad. How's it going with you? Uh, good, thank you. Good. First time calling, and I listen to your show, and you, guys saw, you, get, you get one more guy on your ratings there. What are you, 43, 44, F- whatever it is? Did you just say a first-time caller? I am, yes. Yeah, yes, yes! I love first-time callers. Out of boy, Timmy! Way to yeah, go. Man. Thanks, buddy. No worries. So uh, my, my guess is naps. Oh, man, 87 naps a year. That's a great... I don't get them, but I know you don't get them, so I want <laughs> naps. You know, I try sometimes. I really do. The other day I tried because I had a long night and I couldn't even take one. I wanted to. But that's an excellent guess. But no, that's not correct. No. First thing that came to my mind, so I went with that. Thanks for calling in, buddy. No worries, man. Don't be, you too, don't be a stranger. Another first-time caller on the show. And he took a stab at our not-million-dollar question today. That's what I should call it from now on, because Grant thinks he's getting a million bucks if he answers it. Your not-million-dollar question, if you want to take a stab at it during our 12 o'clock talk back today. On average, you will have 87 of these per year. What are they? They are not winning lottery tickets. They are not naps, the two guesses so far. We continue on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. And along with your opportunity to start a conversation about whatever it is that's chafing your chaps today, I thought we'd have some fun ask you the not $1 million question. On average, you'll have 87 of these per year. What are they? Lynn sends in an email suggestion to Mike at 570news.com. Starbucks coffees. Who can afford 87 Starbucks in a year? I'd like to meet that person and be their friend. Uh, I kid. Lynn, good guess, but no. You know what would be really cool? If we got 87 Austin Matthews goals this year. Could happen, you know. Could happen. But that's also not the answer. Let's go back to the phones. Ranger Joe, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mikey. How are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm fine. Top drawer, buddy. Good. Listen, uh, two things. Yes. Um, My answer would be 87 sleepless nights. Ooh, 87 sleepless nights. Uh, No, but good guess. Very good guess. Okay. 
Now, the second thing is, uh, a few of your callers were saying that you should get a reduction in your pay. And, uh, <laughs> Don't. Why do you keep saying, Joe, we have to stop saying this. I, I'm sorry I brought it up. No, but let me say this, Mike, okay. and I hope your boss is listening. He has to look at not the quantity um, of hours that you work. It's the quality of the job you're doing, Mike. You are a true professional, okay? And I predict if I was your boss, I'd give you a 50% raise right now, Mikey. Joe, I'm saving that forever. I love you, buddy. Okay, buddy. Love you, too. Take care. <laughs> Thanks. You, too. Oh, that's so good. I am going to, if I save Terry's audio, Terry called in yesterday, like the knucklehead he is, I say that with love, and suggested this. Did you take a 20% pay cut uh, on your show now? Because there's 30, 30 minutes less uh, on-air content now. No, there's not. It's still four hours every day. And according to Joe, they're quality hours. But since Terry said that yesterday... My ding-dang boss walking around here rup, 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 all day. Oh, yeah, I love that guy that called and said we should cut your pay. Well, I did not take a pay cut, nor will I take a pay cut. But now I'm going to save Ranger Joe's call, and he says I should get a 50% raise right now. I'm going to replay that one a few times, loudly, in the office, so everybody can hear. Uh, I'll remind you of the quick hint I gave you on the average of 87 of these every year. I don't have one. Not one of these do I get. In a year. Back to the phones. Paul, good afternoon. You know, when you said 87 per year, it kind of threw me off, but then I divided that by 52, so that'd be about 1.7 per week. I love the way so you do it. It's very obvious. It's phone calls offering to clean my geese. <laughs> you mean your ducks? <laughs> oh, ducks, ducks, yeah, ducks. Oh. ducks and geese. I keep telling them I don't have any ducks. I got some geese here that need cleaning, and the chicken coop needs to be cleaned out as well. <laughs> An excellent guess, and so well played by you, sir, but not the answer I was looking for on the not $1 million question today. No, jeez, oh, I, I, was, I, I was 100% certain that I had that right. And by the way, as far as this uh, cut goes, you know, Maybe you should remind Terry that you're answering emails from strange people late at night and, uh, and even at 8 o'clock in the morning. So you got the email I sent you earlier. Uh, yeah, I did. Good. I did. Appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you're you. welcome. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. I will give you the answer before we call it a day, but it's fun to play along a little bit. Rudy, good afternoon. Good afternoon, uh, you're talking about Sonny's before. There oh, was yeah. another Sonny's in town, eh? Sorry? It was, there was another Sonny's in town. Another Sonny's in town? Yeah, there was more than one. And it was on Highland Road. And I'm talking the late 60s. Oh, I missed that one, Rudy. Thanks for... I, okay, tell me more. Isn't it the same idea? Another drive-in burger joint? It was the same thing. Very same thing. Same logo, everything. And it was right around... The corner of Highland Road and Westmount. Okay. And back then it wasn't called Westmount yet. It was called, well, Phil Singer Road went, changed to Westmount later on. Yeah, yeah. That I remember for sure. So yeah. the Sonny's picture I'm looking at on our web, or on our Facebook page right now says famous since 1965. So these two were open simultaneously. Two locations of the same drive-in burger joint. Yeah. and then Wow. The, McDonald's came on Highland Road and took all the business away from uh, Sonny's. I remember that McDonald's on Highland Road because they had the caboose where we could go and have birthday lunches. I had my daughter's birthday there once, one year. I wonder if you had your daughter's birthday around the same time I had one of my birthdays there as a young lad. 
not that old. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, that's true. It was it was around a long time, but I remember going there and eating that terrible. Like honestly, McDonald's with the cake. How awful was that stuff? Oh yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, here's another thing people don't know: McDonald's at night had a cop inside. Because a lot of the bikers would go to Sonny's and then cause problems at McDonald's. Absolutely. Out Highland Road, not past that McDonald's, the henchman. That was the old yes, bike gang in town. Right. Yes, sir. That's right. All right. You have a great day. Thank you. I shall. Thank you, Rudy. I love a little trip down memory lane. I did not know there was another Sonny's. You learn something new every day. You will learn before the end of this hour what, on average, you will have 87 of each year. You can try to answer the question as you enjoy the 12 o'clock talk back here on the Mike Farwell Show. You'll have 87 of these a year. What are they? You're listening to the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I love the 12 o'clock talk back hour because it affords me the opportunity to prop open the door to my studio, let a little air flow through here, and stripped down to my undershirt because the guests are out of the studio. We just talked to you on the phone. And as we have those conversations this afternoon, I'm asking you the not $1 million question. On average, you'll have 87 of these a year. What are they? Devin Robertson, our guy on the other side of the glass. Remember the conversation from earlier, Devin, about the bagels without the holes and whether or not a bagel sans hole was still a bagel? I do. What if we had 87 holeless bagels a year? I'd, I'd be much happier, I you, think. <laughs> you made one of the best arguments. Honestly, I was all in on the, if it doesn't have a hole, it's not a bagel. And you presented one of the best cases I've ever... You, you built it solidly. You should, you should be in law with uh, building a case like that from scratch. Based on the bagel uh, premise. <laughs> I wonder if there's a precedent in law, the bagel premise. The bagel premise. But you said you just want more of the bagel. Uh, yeah. Well, like We've been getting ripped off all this time. Yeah, I mean, the hole is not what makes the bagel the bagel. It's the consistency of the dough, right? If that makes sense. Like, like I said, it's separate from bread. It is. It it's, is. That's what matters most. Now, having less of it in the center or having an amount of space for whatever I put on the bagel to fall down as I pick up to eat it, there's almost an argument to get rid of it entirely. Sure, because it doesn't allow the cream cheese to stay fully on the bagel. Exactly. Yeah, it's a brilliant argument. Sadly, it's not 87 bagels a year, but we'll see if we get the answer <laughs> before 1 o'clock. Mark, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. I'm going to try your trivia question. Okay, buddy. So 87 things in a year. Yeah. And you, you never have one. That's correct. I'm going to say a haircut. You know, well, I need a haircut. Mark, because like I, otherwise, I'd look like uh, like uh, Doc Brown on on uh, Back to the Future, right? My I'd have wisps all over the place. But hey, you're, what do you got? What do you got? One hair on your head? The, <laughs> you cut it off? Is that Listen, it? I I shave this sucker down to the wood once a week, just so you know. It's way more work than anything used to be. I will say this: you're you're getting in the right ballpark, my friend. Like you might even be close to the infield with that guess. Okay, Mike, there you have it. <laughs> All right, Mark, thanks for the call. Wow, Mark nails one there. It, it was a line drive, but right at the shortstop. Kyle, good afternoon. 
Good afternoon. Well, I'm calling from West Montrose today. The 1-800 number does not work in that area. <laughs> <laughs> you cheap so-and-so. You're trying to call one call collect from the covered bridge. Give me a break. All right. Um, well, I was going to say 87 bottles of ketchup a year, but now that Mark <laughs> has gone in that direction there. Yeah. I was gonna, You know what? I'm going out with a whim here, but I'm going to say 87, you eat 87 spiders a year. How do you go from... 87 haircuts to eating 87 spiders. Well, it's part of your part of your body, right? Hairs <laughs> on your body, you eat something that you're using your mouth. I don't know. Fair. You're, you're completely wrong, but fair. That's okay. It's not the first time I'm completely wrong. So thanks there, Mike. <laughs> All right, Kyle. Thanks for the call. I love how the Mike Farwell Show faithful are helping one another out. Mark got close, and then Kyle said, oh, you eat an average of 87 spiders a year. No, you do. Well, you might. I don't know, but that's not the answer to my not-million-dollar question today. we got to get you an update from the City News Centre. We'll come back with the 12 o'clock talkback hour as we continue on the Mike Farwell Show. Well, I saw Terry's name on my call screen earlier, but I guess I don't know if he wanted to challenge me on calling him a knucklehead earlier. I said it in an endearing fashion, I promise. But his call yesterday that suggested I take a pay cut has been the joke of my boss's day. Terry, if you want to call back, I understand maybe you had other things to do for a moment, but I'll put you right at the top of the queue. The 12 o'clock talkback hour continues where you get to direct the conversation. And if you are so inclined to participate in our not million dollar question quiz today, on average, you'll have 87 of these per year. What are they? Mark sends an email to Mike at 570news.com. Brain farts. And you've had none. I wish, Mark, I wish I had zero brain farts a year, but uh, way too many to count, for sure. Let's go back to the phones. Dave, good afternoon. Hello, Dave. Hi. Hi. Dave here. Hi, Dave there. Mike here. My answer to your quiz yeah. is uh, pizza, four items, mushrooms, pepperoni, onions, and green peppers. Wow, that's very specific, Dave. And that's at noon hour. I would like, I would like to ask you, sir. Why in H-E double hockey sticks you do not have pineapple on your pizza? Because it ain't no pizza without pineapple. Pineapple. I usually have pineapple, but my wife doesn't like pineapple. Okay. Now, so I'm really interested in this. Do you do do the half and half then? Like you get a half with pineapple and she gets the half with pepperoni and... No, I usually do the four item without the pineapple. I'll get pineapple with uh, ham and whatever. So what if the answer to the question though, Dave, was... On average, you'll have 87 of these a year. And you've been so specific with your answer about the four-item pizza. What if it was a, a Hawaiian pizza? You got so specific, you might have missed the answer. Maybe the answer should have just been generally pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever. Okay. I just thought you were hungry, so I'd give you a little <laughs> up there. <laughs> Dave, I love it. I am hungry. Sadly, that's not the right answer. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate the call, though. I love how specific he was. It's not just 87 pizzas a year. It's 87 four-item pizzas, and here are the four items. Okay, uh, Danielle and Lynn are giving it to me. It's like salmon arm all over again. My very first radio job, full-time, and they gave me a hard time. I know, I say the word bagel wrong. I get it. I'm, I'm saying bagel instead of bagel. I, don't, I can't get I say bagel wrong. Uh, you're right. I do. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. I apologize. I can't say bagel. I've, I'm a professional communicator, and I mispronounce the word bagel. I, I read your emails. I see your emails. I'm sorry if it's offensive to your ears. I can't change it. Bagel. Bagel. Ba- I don't know. I can't say it. Terry, I promise to put you at the top, even though you're a knucklehead. How you doing, Mike? Hey, I appreciate that, Mike. <laughs> hey, Mike, uh, I, I, I didn't say you should get 20%. Don't, just don't even go did, there. Did, don't, did go, don't go I, back. You know what? Stop I'm it. A lab, I'm a labor guy. You should get every cent you can, Mike. <laughs> just the, stop going down that road, Terry. The thing I was alluding to is that now you get an extra commercial break I know. every half hour. So it kind of, I, I mentioned this to Devin last week when you were away. It does kind of throw off the the flow of the show a little bit because then you have to shorten your interviews with your guests and stuff like that. How do you think I feel? I know. Yeah. I know. I, that's all I was saying. Man. All right, I don't buddy. think you should at all. And uh, I have no idea what the 87 is, but how do you go from haircuts to pizza? I don't know. Would be <laughs> or haircuts to, <laughs> haircuts to eating spiders. I was. My guess would have been... Uh, uh, amount of times you have a hearty breakfast during the year, but that's probably wrong too. But anyway, I have no clue, Mike. <laughs> I hope I'll, I'll be listening to the end to see what the answer is. Dying to hear that. Good man. Okay, okay Mike. Have a good day. You too, Terry. Thank you very much. Uh, it is not eighty-seven hearty breakfasts a year, but that'd be great. I would take eighty-seven hearty breakfasts a day. My favorite meal by far. Tyler. Good afternoon. Hi, Mike. Hey, Tyler. Uh, first-time caller, long-time listener. Wait a minute. First-time caller, Tyler. Yeah! Yes! Yes! I love it. Thank you very much, my friend. Um, I guess for the uh, non-million question would be uh, migraine headache. Oh, migraine That You know, that is a good one. I get a migraine headache every time Terry calls. But I, I say that with love. Unfortunately, not the right answer. Good guess, though. I think we just lost Tyler's phone. First-time caller, long-time listener, long-time first-time. That's an old talk radio gimmick. Thank you very much, Tyler. Don't be a stranger. I love me some first-time callers. Tom, you're not a first-time caller. Hello. How are you? (laughs) I'm so good. I'm sitting here in my underwear doing talk radio. Hey, can't touch that. You can't touch that. You're darn right. Um, I was going to say, like, uh, all this stuff that they're preparing for Trump. I mean, is this guy an idiot? Which guy? Trudeau. Why is Trudeau? Why, what did he do? Well, first of all, you shouldn't even mention, you shouldn't get involved in oh. other politics in the other countries. Like right now, we don't have relation with China, with India, the big traders. And now when Trump comes, we're not going to have with him. I mean, remember the last time, like they blamed him for everything, that he was an idiot and stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, why... Why are you coming up out in the open and saying we're preparing for you? Because you got to be ready, clear. Tom. You got to prepare for best case and worst case. I yeah, do that every day. Uh, no, okay. Uh, when when he hears this, he's going to make a big thing out of it. So, you know, you you're doing damage to your country, which you already did. But, Fair enough. Uh, but do you do, I think I think Donald Trump makes a big deal out of everything. Right? Well, no, Every, no, sure. Everything he talks about is, I am the greatest president in the history of presidents. Like, I mean, he makes a big deal out of everything. Well, it is. But the people, uh, you know, 60% of the people that love the guy, and I'm, I'm saying uh, he's got his base, nothing is going to go because all those 60% think all the other people are uh, idiots, which is right. Like, listen to Biden speak. I mean, you can't be this. I'm president, and you're not. 
All right, Tom. Thanks for the Take call. Take care. <laughs> Bye. You too. Have a great afternoon. Tom just wants to talk about Donald Trump. Don't prepare for Donald Trump or don't talk about your preparation for Donald Trump. The number one rule of preparing for Donald Trump is to not talk about your preparation for Donald Trump. That is not, by the way, the answer to the not million dollar question today. On average, you'll have 87 of these every year. What are they? We'll continue with the 12 o'clock talk back on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Along with your random thoughts and tidbits for conversation today, we thought we'd throw a little monkey into the wrench of the 12 o'clock talkback. I came across this not million dollar question that I couldn't help but ask you because I found it really interesting. On average, you'll have 87 of these a year. What are they? And so you can take a guess at that and stimulate whatever other conversation you'd like to stimulate. Let's go back to the phones. Robert, good afternoon. Oh, hey, I just thought I'd call into the Mike Farwell salary feedback. Dog, jeez, why? Are we going to be this way? All right, no, fine. I'm just kidding. No, I don't think you should earn less. And actually, I think you should get hazard pay for having to deal with the heat. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's so good. I, I keep my house at 19 degrees. Any hotter than that, I, I don't like it. I, I would do that, but I want to also stay married. So I uh, uh, I compromise on that. I don't pay, but yeah, I get it. How about a how about a challenge question? Would you take double the salary for five degrees more temperature in the office? Oh wow, that is a good <laughs> double the salary. What's yeah. two times zero, Robert? Um, I think you might make a little more. Than that. <laughs> I might for five degrees more though. That'd be pretty hot. But if I dressed yeah. accordingly. Because remember, there's no such thing as bad weather, just inappropriate yeah. clothing. Yeah. Because I, I, I think I would. I would, I would I, I, you got me tempted, for sure. I could have that conversation. Oh, and for the 87 things, my guess is sunny days. Oh, sunny days. I hope we have more than 87. But you're right. Know. This year, <laughs> we might have had two already this year. We need to up the average. Good guess, but that's not the right answer. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Robert. I love that. The Mike Farwell salary conversation. <laughs> All started by that knucklehead, Terry. Uh, Norma, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Hi. Um, I was going to guess telemarketers, but then somebody already said that. And then I changed my mind, and, and my next thought was donut. But I knew that couldn't possibly be you because you said you've never had one. Oh, oh Norma, very good. You, and honestly, I don't even eat that many donuts because... They're not my favorite sweet, but when I was in Sault Ste. Marie on the weekend and there were donuts in the media room, you bet I had a donut. I think so, yes. You're a smart um, lady. But I did have a comment about your topic at 9.30 about the hospital. Yes, of course. Um, the huge difficulty with our hospital overcrowding is the lack of doctors. And, and uh, CTV, Kitchener, uh, uh, day before yesterday, had a really interesting segment on the lack of doctors in Ontario. And I they saw that. Put up, they put up a, um, a chart of n- n- multiple cities, 20 or so, with the numbers of, of the doctor spaces that are lacking. And it, it was astounding that there was that many. Um, obviously, people are going to the emergency room because they don't have a family physician. And so that's being that's a problem 
with our overcrowding in at in the emergency room is because people are using the emergency room instead of their family doctors. They use it as a family doctor, I think. Exactly. Yeah. So my big takeaway is anybody with kids in, you know, secondary school or or maybe going into university should consider, I mean, what an opportunity. We really need to, I know you had Mandy Bougeau on about uh, skilled trades and yada, yada, yada. But gosh, we've got to build up our medical profession with with doctors because, yeah, we're sadly, sadly lacking. So I think we need to, somebody needs to get the word out that that is a very viable you, you could go anywhere in Ontario if you've got a medical degree and get a job. I, I think it's huge. Norma, great call. And thank you very much for uh, all of those thoughts. Clearly, Norma is paying very close attention to the show. I also saw that story on the CTV Evening News the other day. Ian McLean from the Greater KW Chamber of Commerce, which has been behind a physician recruitment effort here in our community for a very long time. And I look forward to supporting their efforts uh, at their annual fundraiser for it. And it just goes on and on from there. And uh, Norma, great stuff. Great stuff all around. We've got a kid at home that thinks she's going to get into nursing for that very reason. She figures she can walk out of school and into a job, and she probably can. So proud of the kid. Uh, Mike, over to you. Good afternoon. Hey, Mike, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thanks, Mike. How are you? I'm pretty good. Good. Pretty good. Just driving along here in Cambridge. I just saw somebody on a motorcycle drive by me. As if. Yeah, I know. <laughs> wow, that's January pretty hardy. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. Good for them. Yeah, and, yeah I, and I also wanted to shout out uh, the best team in the OHL. Well, not the best team right now, but their first place team, the Brantford Bulldogs. Let's go Bulldogs. You know what, Mike? I can get behind that. I love. I didn't expect that from them this year. Uh, they're playing really well, and what a great place to go watch a game. Yeah, after the first, well, at the start of the season, I was starting to wonder what was going on, and they really put it on. I'm going to the game in a few weeks, and uh, and I really like the uh, Rogers um, broadcast that they put on. The commentary guys are really good. That's my buddy Reed Duffy over there. He's a beauty. He's a beauty. Yeah. Kudos to him. So I just thought I'd call in also and take a guess at uh, your question. Absolutely. 87 of these every year. You said on average. On average. That's true. 87. I know some people have a lot more. Some people probably don't do it at all. But I think the average is 87 cups of coffee. Oh, you know, I might do 87 cups of coffee some weekends just in two days, Mike. Uh, I know. (laughs) Yeah. I drink four of, them, four of them a day, so... So you would you would bring that average up, but then there would be others that don't drink yeah. coffee at all. It's, I like the way you're thinking. Yeah. Not the right answer, but a very good thought. <laughs> oh, darn. Darn. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for taking my call there. Thanks for making it, Mike, and keep cheering for those Brantford Bulldogs. I would love a Bulldogs Kitchener Rangers OHL final. Let's do it. We'll take a break. Come back with more of the 12 o'clock Talkback Hour. This is City News 570 and the Mike Farwell Show. Just about two minutes away from an update in the City News Center with my buddy Paul McPhee. And then now you know with Rob Snow takes you through till three o'clock. Quickly back to the phones. We'll step lively. Greg, good afternoon. Hey, Mike. Hey, Greg. I have a guess at your question, but I think now I'm going to be wrong. Like that haircut one was kind of close to it. But 
Now, did I hear it right? Is it this year or every year on average? On average, you will have 87 of these a year. What are they? Oh, so it's not just this particular year. Okay, I'm wrong for sure then because I thought it might have been uh, trips to take beer empties back to the store and you've yet to do it this year yet. <laughs> That's not bad. 87 trips, though. That'd be a lot of empties to take back. Uh, not a bad guess, but not the right answer. On average, you will have 87 of these a year. What are they? Bad hair days. Told you. Ain't never had one. I got no hair to have a bad hair day. But that is the answer to our not $1 million question today. Uh, Devin Robertson, our guy on the other side of the glass. I just had to share this with you, Devin, from Danielle. We're going back to the bagel conversation. As someone who makes bagels, I don't know how to say it. It's not terrible. But anyway, I would submit, Danielle writes, a bagel is a bagel because of the hole. Otherwise, it would be a bun. Cooking technique is obviously a factor, but a bagel and a pretzel have similar cooking techniques. They are not the same. Okay. If she's... Listen, <laughs> I'm going to take it from... And her last name is Baker, by the way. Uh, the, da- Danielle uh, Baker, the bagel baker. Who am I to argue? There's a whole show around that right there. <laughs> who are you to argue? I still love the case you made earlier. All right. Uh, boy, oh boy, time flies today. Thanks for playing along with our not million dollar question. Maybe we'll do those from time to time because I had some fun with it and also had fun discussing my salary on the radio. That's always a good time. As I mentioned, an update from Paul McPhee is coming up in about 30 seconds. Now you know with Rob Snow, and as I look ahead to our show tomorrow, what's all this fuss about a parking lot in Wilmot Township? And how are we going to combat auto thefts in Ontario anyway? That and more on the way on the show tomorrow. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. Back tomorrow morning at 9. Bye for now.